Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 5 Paris was coming to life in mid-March. The boxwood hedges had turned from silver to bright green. The topiaries lining the touristy café surrounding the Eiffel Tower gave off a clean pine scent. It was a sharp contrast to the heavy, luscious aromas drifting over patient patrons of the crepe truck. Fashionably dressed Parisians walked in their trench coats, going about their day, unbeknownst that monsters conspired in the apartment above their heads. Ruth had sent her new king for the vampiric side of the game out to find his queen. He wasted no time tracking down Geraldine. He stood on the street just outside her apartment window and listened. She was just waking. While mortal, Geraldine had little use for the likes of the day. Anything that was of any importance to her happened in the dark. When she answered the door, a wave of surprise washed over her face. Leaving the door open, she invited him in, turning her back and letting him take in her body, draped in nothing more than a thin gauze shirt from one of her lovers. Her hair was haphazardly arranged in a knot piled on top of her head, while two pins held it precariously in place. It made her neck appear more elongated and her sleek body linear. The pale light from the lamp highlighted her melon-colored lips and her deep cheekbones. Her English was laden with a thick accent, but grammatically impeccable. I'm pleased to see that you're still alive after all of this time, she smiled. Tilting her palm towards the table filled with jars, prescription bottles, and syringes, she became businesslike. What is your pleasure? My tastes have, um, changed, James said vaguely. He walked over and touched her chin, lifting her head ever so slightly up to meet his gaze. In his telepathic seduction, he flooded her senses with the smell of roses, the taste of champagne, and the desire for him in her bed. It made her cheeks flush. I've come for you, he whispered. To his surprise, she stood up to meet his face, smiling but meeting his gaze with a certain determination that most women feared to return. You have changed, she remarked, in so many ways. So tell me, when did you start craving French women over heroin? He pressed her further, sitting her down and showing her mind his plans for her body. Her knees parted ever so slightly, and she closed her eyes in an attempt to break the spell. I've met your kind before. Vampires never come into a room without someone dying. Are you here to drink my blood? James was impressed to find no trace of fear in her voice. I'm here to offer you a trade. He forced her to meet his eyes again. James showed Geraldine a life he could only guess at with her intense beauty and profound knowledge of the human condition. Geraldine was high up in the Parisian drug cartel, climbing the ladder by impressing people far more powerful than James. Geraldine was as lethal as she was attractive and smart. You know, I never indulge in anything I sell, so why do I want to take your offer? I don't need an addiction to anything, particularly human blood. I already have power and money. Why do I need you? There was a certain detachment to life that the French manipulated in ways like no other culture in the world. One minute they were so in love with life they were devoting cities to aesthetics and beauty. 
The next minute, they were cold and detached, willing to suffer whatever discomfort in the name of stubborn pride and independence. I can give you the one thing no one else can. She looked at him. I can give you time. You can outlive everyone else. He pulled the pins from her top notch with a bit more force to make her take notice. He ran his fingers through her long hair. It smelled of coconut and lavender. What woman as beautiful as you wants to grow old? Geraldine considered James' tempting offer. Vanity was a demon more seductive than any vampire. And in exchange, she asked, brushing his hand away from her hair and examining his chiseled features, I want you to seduce a powerful man. I need you to extract every crucial ounce of information you can. He must be bent completely to your will. Agree to this, and I will give you the monopoly of the European black market. And if I refuse you? She teased. Huh, you won't, James whispered, leaning in to kiss her. The lights of Detroit police cars flashed chaotically a few minutes after a woman reported taking cover at the sound of a shot. In the background, the 911 operator could hear the other women as they screamed, a startled baby wailed as it was torn from its early evening nap in the nearby bus station. In the confusion and chaos, Riley watched her world in slow motion. Her mind searched the crowd for ways to escape. There was the old man leaning against his cane at the street lamp, just at the corner of the DIA grounds. She could hide behind him, but he was a weak shield. The option of attacking the gunman was impossible. She had no weapon. Though she hated to admit it, she was only a girl of twelve. She looked for a police officer, or maybe a bouncer on his way to work at one of the midtown Detroit clubs. Neither was in sight. That only left one option, according to logic. Driven by her human sense of fight or flight, she found herself staring at the running and tripping feet of the adults who surrounded her, who had been leaving work and heading home when the gunshots ran out. The words of her father, with his deep voice and his thick accent, played in her ears. Sometimes, my girl, it is best to hide your position deep in the throng of the game until it is safe. Sometimes, surprise is the best weapon we have, and the beginning of any surprise is hiding. Riley ran behind a metal lawn sculpture just behind the steps of the Detroit Institute of Arts and waited until it was safe. Here is the list of future champions, Jeremiah smiled wryly, as he slid the parchment across the table. Next to each name, he had placed the country of origin. If you need interpreters, let me know, but I'm sure a man of your vast intelligence has no barriers when it comes to language. You flatter me, Cadell laughed, soaking in the praise like a sponge to water. A game of this caliber won't be easy to pull off in this modern age. But I must say I'm impressed, Jeremiah. Resurrecting an old tradition to solve a new world problem is genius, if I do say so myself. Your confidence in your team and your council may just be what our race needs. Well, it's a selfish notion, really, lied Jeremiah. Many of us long to relive our glory of the last epic victory. With you as our side's game master, how can we lose? Jeremiah flattered. Let's celebrate, 
Cadell snapped his fingers, and a young woman appeared from nowhere. My friend has come all the way from America, and we must show him how hospitable we Italians are. Do we have anything special in the cellar? Leave it to me, sir. It will be just a moment. You must be starved, Cadell reassured, pleased to play host to his old friend. He looked back at the list, reviewing it with more scrutiny. And you're sure that these prisoners will comply with my directions? I am, after all, sending some of them to their death. Each will be fitted with headsets and heliobonds in their uniforms. Those who are non-compliant will find themselves cooked inside their custom-made suit, Jeremiah boasted. One of our own has perfected the advanced technology in America, and it will be a chance to show what modern innovation can do. I think other councils with offender problems will find it useful. Cadell's assistant arrived with two men, both nearly twenty, with paint cans in hand. Right this way, gentlemen. The room I spoke of is in here. The two workers looked around the impeccable room in a state of confusion. Nevertheless, they began setting up drop claws in the corner of the room. Cadell offered the two men each a glass of wine. Never turning down the chance for a slight delay, they agreed. Cadell and Jeremiah toasted the workers, and then each other. Before the wine reached the younger men's lips, the painter closest to Cadell found himself flipped onto the huge mahogany dining room table, where the presumably older man held him down with one hand and plunged his teeth into his jugular. Jeremiah preferred to feast in the air. Carrying the second painter into the air, he dropped the struggling young man, letting him fall the three stories down from the top of the cathedral ceiling. The painter tried to scream, but all the wind had been knocked out of him from the bone-crushing landing. Jeremiah swooped down and picked up his broken human and drank from the back of his victim's head, paralyzing the worker but leaving him alive to reserve the vitality of his blood. When the two vampires had finished, the young woman appeared again, cleaning the bodies and the paint supplies. Cadell sat back in his chair. The younger generation just doesn't respect the fine art of subtlety, glancing at the renovation ploy set up by his minion to draw in meals for her master. I agree. The fact that we need incarceration, rehabilitation, and the resurrection of the game at all is a very sad state of affairs indeed, Jeremiah sighed. This is a joke, right? said Ruth dryly, standing in the vacant Detroit meatpacking house. Your lack of vision is really quite staggering, hissed Micah. He waved his hand in the air, much like a game show host, to a contestant as the curtain reveals a new car. Close your eyes. Imagine the processing equipment gone. To his surprise, Ruth did, in fact, close her eyes. Notice the grated floor, just like you asked for. Is there a basement floor below the grate? asked Ruth. Yes. The bottom floor runs the entire length of the building. So we can feed the insane ones with the spilled human blood of the game, she rationalized. With proper feeds for several days, we may be able to save some of them. Being a meatpacking house, is there also an incinerator? No, but it houses an industrialized boiler furnace. Why? Ruth walked slowly, staring up at the immense warehouse lights. Well, those who can't be saved with feeding will have to be disposed of, along with the remains of the human bodies, 
The insane won't go back into the facility? Micah asked, allowing his emotions to shine through his typical reserve. Have you a plan to pay for the eternal incarceration of a vampire unable to feed or conceal itself? We aren't a nursing home for the elderly, Micah. Micah made a silent vow to himself that when the time was right, he would bring the matter to Jeremiah. He let the matter go and continued with the tour. There were two separate entrances put in during the foot and mouth scare years ago. You could protect your human audience from the vampire community, or you could ensnare it, I suppose, whichever, Mike amused. We are improving relations, not devouring them, Ruth reminded him. Right. We are showing how warm and fuzzy and controllable vampires are by inviting humans to watch them kill other humans, Micah argued dryly. Humans see dead humans every day in everything from war to video games, but rarely do they see a vampire council make an example of their own by killing them. Micah stopped arguing. She had a point, but he wondered if she could see the potential for it backfiring on her. As an added bonus, Emily and I checked, and the building is up for sale. Cheap. The airport is only a few minutes away. The surrounding metropolitan Detroit area has a variety of flavors to satisfy any of our vampire palates. The city is too poor to install the typical security cameras and take the measures that most cities would consider infrastructure. How soon can we place a bid and obtain permits? asked Ruth. Emily and Jacob are already looking into it. I met your man at the airport, but Emily? My sister, a lovely violinist and a real jewel of our family, Micah boasted proudly. Oh, well, I'd love to meet her, Ruth lied. Personally, she hated ties and despised sentimental gatherings. When can I meet her? Well, I'm afraid that won't be possible. Emily is, is leaving to go on tour, Micah hedged. He realized in a panic that he had forgotten himself and revealed a vulnerability. Ruth was both suspicious and indifferent. Well, maybe next time. Let me know when the plant is ours. We are down to eight weeks, and I don't intend to miss our deadline. The world's most prominent eyes are upon us now. James ran his tongue along the edge of Geraldine's thigh, making her gasp. He had been listening to her moan, and his tongue grew closer and closer to her nether region. Beads of sweat ran down her torso and collected into her navel, and soon he heard her begin to beg. Please, she whispered. Please what? Tell me what you want, mused James. James felt Geraldine lift her pelvis towards his teasing tongue as she pleaded for more. James was amused. Sometimes she pleaded in English, but as her excitement grew, she forgot herself and it turned into her native French. Mon coeur, she said, breathlessly pulling James' face from her pelvis. Cherie, your neck will just not do. It's far too beautiful, and to scar it for eternity will surely give you away. Instead, he placed both of his palms firmly on her breasts lifting them ever so slightly as he inserted himself into her below. Geraldine gasps, inhaling and exhaling at his pace. As he quickened, he arched her back and pulled her torso to him. And as the two began to climax, he pointed her chest to the ceiling, biting her first under the right breast and then the left. 
Traces of her blood trickled down her belly. Just before he finished taking his pleasure in her body, he drew blood ceremoniously a third time, this time plunging his teeth into the fragile skin of her delicate inner palm. As soon as he drew blood the third time, her body froze and stiffened in agony. Geraldine's eyes filled with fear, and she gripped his throat in a feeble attempt to fight. He lay her constricting body flat on the bed and stroked her hair to reassure her. He listened to her heart as it went from beating hard in the pleasure of his intercourse to the slowing tempo of the afterglow, to the death throes of a woman slowly dying in the arms of her lethal lover. Once her heart had completely stopped, James lay in bed next to her and waited for the sun to set once more. He knew that when the night blanketed them again, he would have his powerful queen by his side. Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger.